All right. We live. We're live. Right. I, I finally hit record. <laughs> um, this is, I, I find this really amusing because um, you've been here for two hours. Already. And yeah, and I finally, <laughs> I, had, I had to put my finger up and say, hang on, Tyler, just one second. I'm just going to fucking hit record so we can get this started because right, right. Um, it's kind of what we've been doing is kind of what the podcast is about. Um, the podcast is called The Visit, um, V-I-Z-I-T. Because there's a gal in New York who um, trademarked V-I-S-I-T. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm cheating a little bit, but not really. Who cares? It's maybe a little bit more modern and cool right. with a Z, Sounds you know. Visit. Yeah. Visit. Um, and uh, so uh, the visit was initially something that I wanted to do because it was sort of a, an homage to like when I was a kid. Um, we would take and we would we would go and see family and friends and my mom and dad would say, well, we're going to go visit so-and-so. And so that's when I started doing this podcast that stuck in my head, like visiting people, like having good, deep conversations, like just don't happen very often anymore. And honestly, this is the second part of why I'm doing this is it's an excuse for me to do this, to get to know somebody that I, that I like and I'm friends with on a deeper level um, at some point, I'm going to take this thing traveling. You know, I have my work right, out there. Yeah. I'm going to take <clears throat> and, and do podcasts with fucking random strangers. Of course, I'll walk up to them and say, hey, right. this is kind of what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm not going to throw a mic in their face, but I'm going to kind of explain it. And if they're good with it, man, I'm going to I'll have a like a Honda generator, one of the super quiets. Right. And I'll set up shop right there. Very and perfect. so you got an hour, dude. You want you want to do it? Yeah. Let's say and. and a lot of it will be bullshit. It'll be like terrible, but right. some of it would be probably pretty awesome because some people got some really, really amazing stories. And why not? Absolutely. <laughs> it's the best thing to learn is, is learn about why somebody is the way they are. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, with social media, so much shit gets thrown up in our face by celebrities. Right. Like the bling bling. Like I'm a, f- a fan of Timbaland. I don't know if you know who Timbaland is or not, but he's sort of a, he makes beats and, and he's super popular when I was growing up. I still listen to his music today. And he posted something to social media, him and his wife just blinged out. Like there's no substance to that, dude. Yes. You look good. Your wife, your wife looks wonderful. You both look very wealthy, but where's the substance in that? Like show me something real. (coughs) This is an opportunity to do something that's like real. Like, there's people out there who just went through a major struggle and came out on top. I want to hear that, man. I want to hear that. Is I want to, I want to, well, it is you, <laughs> it is you funny. You should mention it. Yeah. Um, because, um, uh, f- for those who are not familiar, you know, you probably know me I'm Bob Bridges. Um, but the dude sitting across from me is Tyler Jennings. I've known Tyler for, if I were to guess something like 15 years, the majority of, I mean, twenty six. Yeah, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I started. You doing, were putting. You put the first theater in. I did. Yeah, the first I worked theater in. I was in uh, fifth grade. I think you, Scott, made you stay late. I think. Uh, I can't imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> Scott's his dad. Install PlayStation Two or something. Yeah. Well, I obsessed over the wiring. Yeah. Probably. Um, and I think actually that is the reason why we're sitting here right now because I obsessed over that wiring and your dad liked it. Yeah. It impressed him. And so when I stopped working for the company that I was working for, you were with, uh, 
electric. I'm not promoting them. Um, when I stopped working for those guys, and they're not bad guys, but I'm not trying to help anybody right. out on that tip. Um, uh, I, I think he sought me out. Thankfully, um, I, I'm, I, I've never approached any clients of prior employers. They've always approached me. Oh. So that's, I, I, I like to keep things ethical. <laughs> well, I, some, most of the time, yeah. I mean, when given the opportunity, of course, always try to, you know, always, I'm joking. I'm being a bit tongue in cheek. I always do good work. <laughs> um, maybe a little self-deprecating. Um, but yeah, I obsessed over your dad on the wiring to your dad's system there in the theater and it was super tidy and, um, he recognized it, liked it, bragged on it a little bit. And, um, I guess that's what brought me back. And, um, so you watched us grow up accidentally. I, I did watch you grow up. Yeah, I did. <laughs> and he probably had, he called you. Yeah. Yeah. There's, uh, you know, hopefully he doesn't have to call me unless he needs or wants something new. Right. Um, but shit does break, um, as we very well know. Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, referring to people who have went through a struggle and come out on top, I mean, um, yeah, you're, you're, I never really questioned whether or not you'd come out on top. A, um, I, th I think it's sometimes in our DNA to do so. Absolutely. It's hard to sometimes be uh, around a certain culture without absorbing it. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things your dad's offered you as, as your dad is you've been immersed in a culture, whether you like it or not, right, absolutely. of not failing that. And, and, and as we were talking about earlier, you know, it's just growing up in a family with money, you know, per se, and, and seeing stuff and being part of things that I would have never been part of, you know, mm -hmm. if I wasn't in that situation and, uh, you know, everyone can sit and bitch and complain about their life. And I, I'm, I'm not one that doesn't do that. I'm not saying I don't, you know, I, I, I have my times, Yeah. but we all like to have our pity parties. Yeah. You know, I, you always had to sit back and just be like, you know, I could have been in a w really different situation with a r different family, you know, mm -hmm. and, but I was given the opportunity and it's great. You know, it's just, it's it's just like it's unexplainable to just the opportunities I've got to see and everything else and see him work and, and do his thing and and just try to understand his mindset and stuff. And like we were talking about earlier, you know, he's just he's just 100 miles an hour every yeah, day. Yeah, he's an, he's an animal when <laughs> yes, it comes to work. Yes. And uh, super driven guy. Yes. Super driven guy. And I've tried to do this with my kids as well is – try to show them uh, as big a world as I can. Right. Um, if I would have had more means, I could have shown them even more. Um, if I had less means, they would have been shown less. Um, so we did go on trips. We did go on vacations. We did go see things. We did go um, enjoy um, nice things when we have the opportunities. I wanted to expose them to something that felt normal to them that I would want them to have later on. Um, because I think we acclimate to certain things and that's our normal. Definitely. Um, and uh, every parent wants to see their kid do as good or better than them. Yeah. So I never had a philosophy of setting the bar low. I don't know as if your dad set out to have those goals 
as far as how to be a parent. Um, I, I, we would have to ask him obviously, but for me, I absolutely did set out the goals that like, this is how I want to parent. This is, I, I want to, um, I want to set the bar as high as I can and, um, make that my kids normal. So hopefully they'll do that or better. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And you definitely acclimate to things, you know, it's funny cause you know, I, we, I grew up in a pretty decent house mm-hmm. and everything. And, uh, I just bought my own house within the last year. <laughs> yeah. So that's an adventure going from thousands of square foot to my house now, which is like, uh, what is it? 760. Dude, finished. <laughs> I tell you what, it's just like, do you want to sell it? <laughs> yeah, I love it. I mean, I love it. I, I wouldn't change anything about it. I'm just saying the amenities like, oh, sure. I grew up with you do, shower with glass sliding doors. Yeah, you're you doing know. you're doing exactly the right thing, though. The real like I grew up with with all this stuff and you 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 think it's normal. And then you actually move out. You're like, yeah, okay. this is what real life. <laughs> yeah, this like. is what really happens. Shit. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. actually doing the opposite. You obviously, you notice, you, you notice the sign out yeah, front. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to go to a thousand square foot or less. You gotta let, well, I love it. I mean, I, I can literally be, it's just me and my girlfriend. So anywhere in the house we can communicate mm-hmm. and don't need an intercom. No, <laughs> I got a big garage. I got a nice porch, small yard to cut, you know, it's perfect. Yeah, I wouldn't change it, you know. And my my brother, he has a little bit bigger house than I do, and he's like, "Man, I wish I had a smaller house, you know, like you." And it's like, I know. I mean, this is an old house. Um, Nicer it could be because of its age. I'd have to pump so much money into it to make it perfect. That's just not going to happen. But nice nonetheless. But it just needs constantly something. And one of the things I've noticed over the years of working for more or less affluent people. And, and to say that I've worked for affluent people is an understatement. I mean, an understatement, professional athletes, political figures, right. uh, moguls of fortune 500 companies. Right. And the one thing I've noticed about those lifestyles is that with every upgrade in lifestyle, there's an upgrade in cost. And so, everybody sees that 20,000 square foot mansion and be like, Oh my God, you know, you sort of get stars in your eyes. Like that would be amazing. No, it's not amazing. It costs a hundred thousand dollars a year just to right, maintain just it. To upkeep it. <laughs> yeah. And then a house like that, it's not, you're not going to clean it yourself. Right. You're not going to maintain it yourself. You're not going to touch a bit of plumbing, electrical, nothing. And with every home, you have a certain number of things that break every home, every home. And then you, you, thousand square feet we're talking take something that's 20 times the size you're gonna have 20 times the things breaking 20 times the cost 20 times the cost and you're not you're gonna have to have a full-time person to maintain it you know how many times how many clients i have that i never deal with the client i only deal with the individual who services the property like they have a full-time employee that their only job is to manage the property it happens a lot man and so I don't look at those houses anymore. I do get, I, I appreciate being in them and that I'm fortunate enough to work in a career that allows me to be in those spaces um, because they're rare spaces to be in, but I don't pine to own them at all. Yeah, that's not your story. No. I don't and think you want it to be. I mean, if, if, if for somehow reason I woke up with 
you know, I hit the big, big lottery, several hundred million dollars. I would upgrade over this, but not a lot. And it wouldn't be a square footage right. thing. It would be, I'd have a skate park. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have a skate park. I have a, maybe a little studio for music and, and, and to do the podcast thing with, and I'd have some amenities. I would care about that. Um, but I wouldn't care about the square footage. Um, I mean, even in this house. It, well, how did you grow up? What, you know, what class, I'm not, I don't really know how to say it. what class, you know, were you middle class? Oh man. Um, lower class. <clears throat> very, very working class. Uh, my dad was a carpenter, um, built the house I grew up in. Um, and the house I grew up in, people always said it was a big house. I think for me, when I was growing up, it was a big house. Um, it was on eight acres of property. Um, nine acres. Um, where at? Um, west of Gillespie. So if you know where Gillespie is, generally speaking, it's about 10 minutes north of where we're sitting right now. Okay. And then it was another four miles west of town is out in the country. And, um, my dad was working class, you know, I think he made like 30, 35 grand a year. And when I was growing up, that was an okay living. Right, right. Um, it's probably the equivalent of making 50 grand a year now. Uh, maybe 60 grand a year now. So, okay. But nobody's getting wealthy off of that unless you're really clever with investing. Um, and um, I was raised by my grandparents. So when I say mom and dad, I'm actually referring to my biological grandparents. So how did you get to that stage? Oh, boy, man. <laughs> you <laughs> what, said you were going to ask questions. Yeah, what age did you end up? 16 months. Really? So, okay, my origin stories, and I'm going to tell this from my point of view, and every story has, it's not going to be a pretty story. Well, um, you're 16 months, so whatever you're, it's what you're told, basically. Exactly, and the other point of views that other people may have, the whys or, or why it was okay or why it had to happen that way or whatever, I don't fucking know. Um, all I can do is speak to what my truth is, and and that's that. And it's my podcast, so. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, I was born January 4th of 1977 in Waukegan, Illinois. And um, Waukegan, where it's up that? by Chicago. It's a Chicago suburb. And my biological mom was married to a guy by the name of Mike, for whom I get my last name from. Um, Mike was in the military. And he left for the military prior to my conception, which means who my biological dad is is a complete fucking mystery still today. Don't know. Have you tried to know? That's a tough thing to try to know. Um, I just didn't know if you did dedicated a ton of time. And no, I've not. It matters to you. It, it would be maybe the most valuable thing I could know at this stage of my life, except for like, you know, the, the magic... A equation to being super successful. I would prefer to know that so over what's stopping you from getting to know or try, um, trying to figure it out, tracking it down. Uh, I've got more important irons in the fire. I have more pressing issues now, uh, things that need my attention presently, basically. Um, and it's not going to change any outcomes. So does he know you exist? I don't know. I don't know. Like if I don't know who he is, I don't know. I didn't know if somebody communicated that with him. Yeah. I don't told know. you about it. <clears throat> no, there's a couple, there's a couple of, I've heard a couple of sort of rumored type stories like 
yeah, there was this one guy and, and, but I never got a name. I never, you know, um, and like I said, I've never tried to chase down the answer. Um, in any event, um, she tried to raise me. It was not going well. She was, um, single living up in Chicago and having a tough time of it. And when she would go off to work, like she'd have to go to work and I guess she didn't have a sitter. So she would make on the floor a fort of pillows um, next to the sofa. And that's where I would be completely unattended till she could get back. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what happened was my grandparents got wind of the way things were and said, that's not okay. And they, they, I don't know how it happened or what the sequence or what the conversations were or the exact whys. I just know that that was my situation then. And they went and got me and they adopted me when I was 16 months old. And um, they raised me as their own. So I know them as mom and dad. Dave and Dot Gray were the people I knew as mom and dad, which is kind of the whole Gray thing. Like their last name was Gray. Mine was Bridges. was a bit of a mind fuck growing up, but... You know, um, yeah, I'm sure it was when you were younger. Yeah, yeah. All my siblings' last names were Gray, but I was Bridges, but they were mom and dad. How many siblings? Um, so six, including my biological mom. Kind of twist your mind around that. But did your biological mom still communicate? Yeah, so she was in and out of my life. Another mind fuck. Um, she was in and out of my life. Okay. Um, because she was never stable. She had drug and alcohol problems all of her life. Um, and she had other kids, some of which she raised some, and some of which she raised less. I, I was the one she didn't raise at all. Um, much, to my, much to my benefit, because I feel like I grew up very well. Right. I had a really good upbringing. I was, every single day of my life, grew up in a loving household. Um, and was raised by people who, particularly my dad, is um, sort of um, a fantasy figure to me almost. Um, he passed away, my granddad, my dad, right. passed away when I was 17. And so something there's something interesting that happens to a person when you have a major life event. At, at that stage of your life, it concretes certain things. Um, so I think the reason that um, I had come off... Well, I see myself as immature, even though I'm super responsible and I do everything. I, you know, I still enjoy things. And maybe that's a Gen X thing too. I don't know. I still have, I got skateboards on my wall. Yeah. I still yeah. like to skateboard. I um, wrong with that. I, I still like BMX bikes and freestyle bikes it's and toys style. and cartoons and all that sort of shit. Right. Like I, I never really was terribly interested in being the straight laced adult. And, uh, maybe that had something to do with dad passing away when I was still a kid like, I didn't have somebody guiding me into those adult years. So whatever upbringing I had at 17, bang, that was it. Um, my mom, uh, the one who raised me, not my biological, when he passed away, like shit fell apart for her. Right. Um, they had been together for north of 25 years. I think it was almost 30 years. They were married when he passed away. And so it was, she was, she did well to hold herself together. And so I was, you know, pretty much not completely fiscally on my own when I was 17, but I was pretty much on my own. What was your 
you know, high school years going into college years, like, um, so I was a junior when dad passed Staunton high school. Gillespie. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I was, I was 17 when dad passed. So I finished my junior year, my senior year. Um, I just sort of went through. Right. Went to the motions. Yeah, really. Getting a diploma. <laughs> kind of just need to get it done with. And, and, um, everybody regarded me as smart. Um, and I guess I was sort of, there's an expectation I was going to be the first person in the family to get a college degree. Um, that didn't pan out. Uh, I think I took about, I think I took a year off between high school and college. And when I did go to college, um, things were fine until uh, you'll relate to this story. I was living at home and, um, you know, just button heads with my mom all the time. And eventually she asked me to leave. Now, there are some obvious reasons why stuff like that sometimes happens. I was not a drinker. You know, I wasn't going out and getting drunk, coming home drunk, and she couldn't take it anymore. I never really had much of an interest in drugs. Um, You know, that just wasn't part of my lifestyle. Never was, never has been, still isn't. Um, But um, I was just being a kid. Right. And... um, and then I got involved with my then girlfriend that became my wife, who's now my ex. And um, we had our daughter and all of us trying to live in the house with her. And it just, it just came to a head. And she had to ask us to leave. Let's back up. And then, well, um, <laughs> then she had, you know, she had to ask us to leave. And so Jessica and Sydney went and stayed over here. I tried to go to SIU and live on campus my work was really far away. Like just everything just sort of fell apart and I couldn't, I couldn't hold on to my obligations and my schooling and be a parent all at the same time. Just didn't work. I had too many obligations. I had to um, take care of my parental requirements. Were you into the electronic stuff in high school? So the reason that the electronic stuff happened is even as a kid, I would take shit apart and put it back together. Like it's been a thing. Yeah. Always been a thing. Like, it was when huh, my first car um, was a 1982 Mustang hatchback four cylinder that my dad and I took the motor out of his um, out of another vehicle that was in a Pinto. And we 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 put the proper brackets on. So all the like the alternator and all that stuff right. landed where it needed to. And we put it into this 1982 Mustang because I only paid one hundred and twenty five dollars for it because um, it had a blown up motor. And, um, total piece of garbage. I loved it anyway. <laughs> I bet you did. <laughs> and, um, and the car stereo was just something that was sitting in the right spot. And my very first, like the speakers were just six, six by nine paper cone woofers oh, yeah. that I took and put in shoe boxes because I knew that they resonated and it sounded better like shoe boxes in the floor of the back seat. <laughs> That was my sound system and it worked. And the thing is, is, I remember spending an entire afternoon one day cleaning, like vacuumed the car, washed it. It looked as good as that car possibly could. And it actually looked good. And I mean, yeah, I polished a pig. Right. For, but what, it, for what it was. It was tan too, man, with, oh. a, with a tan plaid interior. I mean, it was is not that your first car. Very first. Yeah. Um, it was not going to get me checks. Um, not, not on its merit. Um, 
of course I did the rest. Right. Yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, I remember having fond memories of spending all day washing that car and I would lay on the hood with my back on the windshield and just music playing. And I still have those memories of like watching the setting sun, right? Laying on my car, listen to listen to the stereo, which was actually just speakers sitting inside of shoeboxes I cut the holes out on. So, coming out of high school, you knew. Did you go to college for the electronics stuff, or try to, or what, what? What did you do? No. So the the way that I got down the electronics path was that um, um, Jessica and I had our own apartment. And we're, you know, living, we're, we're getting by and not very well. And I'd already dropped out of college and I think I had gotten a job with a temp service out of Litchfield and, um, they had me working a factory job, um, something called Napco, which they made PVC pipe, various types. And I just, they just had me work a, work a fucking split. So there they'd work you 12 hours at a time and they couldn't they they'd send you home when you work the split and they by law had to have you off the clock for four or five hours before they could let you back on the clock and i just got done working one of those so i worked 12 was off for four then came back and worked another 12 and then when i was done with that shift i remember this back before i had a cell phone i think i had a pager but i didn't have a phone at home and so the temp company had my mom's number as my contact. So they called my house, my mom's house. My mom sent me a page. You don't know what pages oh, are. Oh, I do. I remember. I do. Okay. Yeah, it was like very beginning of my time. Yeah. And so I go over there and I call them to find out that they're firing me. Really? Yeah. So yep. before that, when you went to college, what did you go for? Well, um, political science. I figured I was going to be a lawyer. Isn't it funny how life works? Isn't it? <laughs> um, but so um, the I've told this story a few times, but the the electronics thing happened out of the fact that I was desperate for to do something that could be somewhat fulfilling. But you had a knack at it. I knew I had a predisposition to it. Yeah. You know, I picked up on those things pretty well. I kind of understood things, and I knew I liked the technology. People are like that. Yeah. I have a buddy that's like that, where he just, he's just good at it. You know, it's, yeah. it, I'm not, I'm not one to be, I'm not good at it. You know, I'm not good at electri- electricity. I'm not good at wood. I can, I'm good at metal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Can, I can weld, you know, I can put shit together. That's one of the things, that's yeah. one of the things I want to learn how to do, actually, as well. I don't yeah. know how to do it. I love welding. I used to weld a lot, you know, we grew up in the farm, and shit we'd go down there and and spend you know an evening i remember in high school me and my buddies would go down there and uh just work on shit you know work on my dad's shit for mm-hmm. hours i mean into 2 a.m 3 a.m you know just stupid stuff we bought a he, he bought a moped scott did <laughs> i get hit by a car wouldn't run so me and my buddy my good friend uh robbie we went down to the farm and rewired this whole thing he he's the one that's good at wiring rewired the whole thing we had that moped run at two o'clock in the morning you know ripping it around while scott was sleeping (laughs) and uh yeah we did a lot of that growing up is just working on random shit you know and learning how stuff works and and that's one thing i am grateful for is having that farm and as i talked to you about before i didn't do sports growing up you know yeah And, and i don't 
now looking back at it, like looking back on it, I don't regret that. Back then, of course, I did. You know, I wanted to. I'm sure you wanted to do yeah, football. Yeah, I wanted to play and... football. You know, I wanted to wrestle, yada, yada, yada. But now looking back on it, I learned so much more growing up on a farm every weekend than mm. I ever would have on a team playing a sport. It's I definitely mean, probably suiting you a lot better now. Yeah, absolutely. Working yeah. on tractors, you know, learn how to bale hay, learn how to take care of cattle. It's just learning all this stuff that I may not necessarily use right now, mm-hmm. but I have it in my tool belt, you know. And that's what I think life's about is your tool your tool belt, you know. Everyone has a tool belt and just putting different shit in that that belt is what gets you to where you are. Well, I find it interesting that there's a lot of education out there. That's one of the things I don't like about the modern education system is like we're pumping people full of information. Absolutely. But like so what can you do? Well, I have this degree and I, I, I know about this, I know about that. Yes, but what can you actually do? What value do you bring to this equation? Thing is, is like, well, there are some trade applicable degrees you can have. Like an IT guy should be able to hit the ground running. But like, there are certain degrees, like, uh, like, how does that actually translate to a specific job? I mean, it's common. It's a common idea nowadays that there, well, it has been a common idea that there are a lot of people who graduate and don't even have, like, they don't even get a job in the field of their study. Oh, it happens all the time now. Yeah. And so I think the more interesting question is what can a person do? I particularly get paid to problem solve. People think I'm an electronics guy, but I'm a problem solver. Because electronics don't play nice all the time. Very frequently don't. And so the the number one thing for me... So if you do basic electronics, like if you buy item A and item B and they're made by the same people and designed to work together, they probably work together fine. Right. But in what I do, that's that, that doesn't work in scale. So in the case of um, like the house I was in today... Um, they have, I worked on four different systems and each system had a slight variation between each of them. So one system had a Panasonic plasma cable box, Roku, a couple other things. The other one had a Fujitsu plasma. The other one had a, a sharp LCD. Like there's, there's variations between the systems and they have a single unified remote, much like what your dad has. My problem to solve is making it operate exactly the same way from one system to the next because it's too much to ask a client to remember subtleties between systems. They pay me a lot of money to make it so easy they don't have to think about it, right? That's kind of what I get paid for. Make it so easy you don't have to think about it. You just, you look at that button, you recognize it, and the slightest bit of intuition tells you that's the button I need to push. That's what I'm focusing on when when I'm doing these jobs like that. And so four different systems, four different variations on on how each one of them each one of them work and and but the controller looks the same and it operates the same in each one um problem solving all day long problem solving okay so we're at having your daughter <laughs> yeah where are we at continue with this story well so i mean <clears throat> i mean it it's it's not an unfamiliar story you know young couples and and you, we when did you become bob bridges the electronic guy 
The electronics guy actually happened when I started doing jobs of my own. So I worked for a shop called Hi-Fi-Fo-Fum in St. Louis. Um, and they had been around since I think the 60s or 70s, all the way up until a handful of years ago, the company went out of business. When I stopped, when I left there, there were a number of people who found me. And this is before cell phones. So I, my only guess is that they looked me up in a phone book, like an actual paper phone book. <laughs> um, and then I did work for them and they referred me to somebody. And then those people referred me to somebody's and, and so on and so forth. And, um, and after a while, um, I needed to name the business because I was, I was doing enough business. I couldn't just pocket money. I had to put it into right. a bank account. And once you put it into a bank account, you really kind of need to have a DBA because you need once you put the money into a bank account, it's trackable money right, and you need to claim it on your taxes. Yeah. Um, and so I created, you know, I think the first year I made it may, may have made a couple extra thousand dollars, by the way, if you're listening to me, you know, Mr. IRS, <laughs> it was over 15 years ago. So, yeah. you know, the, I've been official for quite a lot longer than that. But, um, but at some point I started making too much money on the side, right. um, to not claim it from a tax standpoint, because I'm one of those people who will lose sleep over worrying about whether or not I'm going to get audited. And so I created the DBA. I started um, started working as a sole proprietor, claiming all this stuff on my taxes. And um, the DBA, I just thought it was funny, kind of funny, like tongue-in-cheek to say I'm the electronics guy because I'd be at somebody's house and and the wife would be like, hey, you know, on the phone with the husband, do you have a, the electronics guy's here. Do you have a question for him <laughs> while he's here? You know, it's just sort of what people are calling me because right. that's what I was doing. And so I said, fuck it, I'll just, I'll call myself that too. Guy. Yeah, I'm the, the electronics guy. So um, it used to be it was just Bob Bridges and so many checks were just written to Bob Bridges and deposited into the electronics guy account. But that title, that business name is been around long enough now that all my checks get written to the electronics side pretty much and that's people are starting it's it's starting to become even you know it's kind of funny i've never really pushed it but it's actually a brand now as a as a sole proprietor sometimes it's less about the brand it's more about just the person doing it right absolutely i think it's a brand now you know, I can actually hire employees now and I could send electronics guy employees to a job and, and my clients would recognize. Are you interested in that? Yeah. Yeah. To some degree. Yeah. I don't want to be the nuts and bolts guy forever. Yeah. No, I, I, there are certain things that do need my attention. Um, the beginning and finish needs my attention. Um, the high level programming type stuff and the network configuration stuff that I do and the, the, the ISF calibration, the video calibration stuff those those are tasks for seasoned people i would love to be able to hand that over too and just run the business right, that would exactly. be fabulous yeah um but um as an individual doing the work um uh, i can quality control everything and that has a lot of value and the only the only reason i would like to do it differently is that I can only work so many hours in, in a year. I've reached the threshold of the income I can make based on a single employee, basically, is what it, billable hours. The number of billable hours I can put out as an individual um, limits my income um, potential. 
Okay. If I hire more people, then I can have more billable hours. I can do more jobs. More billable hours actually also does translate to more equipment sales potentially. And so, you know, I, the, the income could expand. But not everybody can cope with... I don't trust too many people to be able to cope with my clients. And, like, you can tell... You particularly probably can tell my clients are kind of like my family, right? You know, they want, they want the electronics guy. My family (laughs) is the most important thing to me, but my clients are probably number two. They're not probably, they are number two. Like I give up a lot for my clients. Oh, absolutely. Saturdays, Sundays. I've seen you late nights. Yeah. I mean, and those sacrifices mean something to me. That time wasn't, um, I'm not that guy who, well, like, I mean, I'm not that guy who who was a single dude who had nothing better to do. You know what I mean? I always had something pressing. There are so many times when I would I would work on a job up until the very last minute when I absolutely had to leave because there was a soccer field full of kids waiting for me. Right. And I'd still show up five minutes late. You know what I mean? That's how tightly my time was stretched and how hard I was working for my clients and then immediately going from that to diving into um diving into being coach you know and that work environment didn't make my married life better right you know there's a lot of times my ex wanted more of my time um but that's also sort of the sacrifice you make when you endeavor to being in business for yourself yeah you know taking on responsibility is taking on responsibility you know, once you make a commitment that you're going to do something, that's not a movable thing. That's not um, that's not a weight with handles. That's a mountain with a foundation. Has to be done. Yeah. So. Yeah, I agree. Especially with people that like you who value the work. You know, it's it's not you just don't do it for a job. You do it because well, you love it. Yeah, and and the thing is, if the client doesn't call me, they'll call somebody else. I am totally replaceable. I'm not easy to replace, especially not now at this point. <laughs> at this point, you know, I've got enough experience that like most clients can throw just about any problem at me. I can figure it out. Right. Um, so I'm less replaceable. But I mean, I'm not the only guy who has my level of knowledge. There are other guys out there who can do what I do. Yeah. You know, and I recognize that. And I value um, I value the confidence that clients put in me from the start, the middle and the end. And when they pick up the phone call. When they pick up the phone and they dial my number, like I realize they're making a concerted decision to throw their business my way again. And I value that. I don't know if that's valued very much anymore um, because I I don't have air conditioning on the first floor of this house. Bought it with no air conditioning. Put air conditioning on the second floor. This is reasonably cool. I think it's maybe 70, you know, uh, you know it's not reasonably cool for most people. Most people want their tea stat at like 74, 72, 73, something yeah. like that. Um, it's probably 75 degrees, 76 degrees in say. this room. More than tolerable for me. Yeah. Um, I've been wor- I've been looking for a long time to find an HVAC guy to put this together. Now, if I just wanted to throw money on it, I could just hire anybody. Um, but I'm not that type of person. So I'm trying to balance value with finding the right guy. And the same thing is true. I need gutter work on this house. I can't find anybody to do gutter work on this house. It's a tall house. It's not going to be an easy gutter job. Right, exactly. You know what I mean? You want to find somebody like you. But still, well, 
almost anybody at this point who's not going to fuck it up because it needs to be done. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> at this point, it just needs yeah. to be done. But just finding people is not an easy thing. Absolutely. Not an easy thing. And I recognize that finding somebody to replace me wouldn't be an easy thing either, but it's doable. It's doable. So it's, let's, let's fast forward to your, uh, your fitness journey and how this all came about. <laughs> And how, what your background of that is, did you do sports in high school? Did you run? So I fancy myself an athlete all my life. Okay. Like I skateboarded, I bicycled, um, I played baseball. Um, when I, when I turned, when somewhere when I was 15, I started playing hockey, I played hockey for quite a few years. Um, uh, when I was a kid, I would lay on the floor and watch Cardinals baseball games and I'd have the baseball card of each of the players that were rostered that day. <laughs> laid out and I would follow the game with the baseball cards. Um, so like sports is always kind of a big deal to me. And, um, um, I was a fat kid though. Uh, I hit puberty and I got taller and thinner and got better at sports, but I'm five, five man. Like I always had to play harder and work harder than the other guy. (laughs) Like, um, I could put them in baseball. There are a few guys who could hit a home run, just a couple, two or three guys. I could put the ball off the fence. Like I could hit well and shock the shit out of most people. But like I worked hard at it. I worked on my swing. I worked on the mechanics. I worked on um, a little bit of strength. Um, But I just worked really hard at it. And in hockey, I was just some dumb kid who could barely skate that, I only started playing it because my buddy talked me into it. The guy I used to skateboard with, he left me skateboarding by to myself play to play hockey. And I was like, <laughs> you dick. And he finally talked me into, yeah. you know, come on, dude, try it out. It's fun. It's awesome. And I tried it once. And I, I, I loved it. And, and at some point was one of the better, not that being a good hockey player in Gillespie, Illinois is anything <laughs> at all. But amongst my friends, I was one of the best. Um, so I was sort of, I've got like most guys, I've got that competitive side to me and I, I don't like doing anything I'm not good at. So if I do it, you want to get good at I it. I want to get good at it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so the same way, um, as an adult, you know, work and bad eating habits, you, you've known me for a long time. You know that I was more pear shaped than, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I at remember- one point. I think it was last year when we when we talked. Yeah. Uh, I think that was the first time I'd seen you, and I don't know a bit. Yeah, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Yeah. Like, yeah. You, I could tell you were like all in. So, what happened was was that, and I back in 2011, I did Tough Mudder, and I started running back then. And I got up to a got up to a four mile run, and that the fastest four mile run I did during that time was. I think a 47 minute, four mile. Um, What's that per mile pace? uh, 10 high tens. No, it'd have to be more than that. It'd have to be like um, maybe 11 and a half, 12, somewhere in there. 11 and a half, somewhere in there. Um, Not a fast per mile pace. Not, I mean, I did a 743 earlier this year. (laughs) For four miles. For my fourth mile. The first two miles were right around nine and I felt, I felt it, you know, the it, right. like that you're in the, in the groove. Yeah. I said, I wonder if I can crack eight minutes. And so when that fourth mile hit, I turned it up. What's and your best mile? 
743. Okay. This is the best mile I've ever recorded. And that was, like I said, I ran the first three slower and then that fourth Have mile. Have you ever set out to run just one mile flat out? Not yet. Not yet. I think I can, I think I can crack seven minutes. Or do you get better as your miles go on? Well, if I were to do that, I'd go out and I'd probably run a couple miles first and, and take some, some, some breaks in between. Like I'd have to get my muscles warmed and get the blood flowing and all that sort of stuff. Maybe even do some upper body stuff just to get everything primed, everything primed. And then, then I could probably go for it. Okay. Um, um, but so I turned, f- I remember hearing everybody tell me when you turn 25, things start changing. Your body starts changing, you know, just stuff starts going to shit. <laughs> that did for me. <laughs> <laughs> It did, didn't it? Yeah. It Damn did. it. Yeah. Um, 26 was rough. 26 was a bitch. Yeah. Um, 27 would be better. Um, so, uh, and then that didn't happen to me. I still felt great. Even though I wasn't fit, I felt, my body felt great. 30 happened. Same thing. I was told how bad it was going to be. Didn't happen. I felt fine. Wasn't fit again, but my body felt fine. And it was all the way, all the way through 40. I I'd still felt okay. I turned 41. That's when the, that's, that's when, when the penny dropped. <laughs> yeah. That's when the hammer dropped. Um, a couple of weeks after my 41st birthday, I was getting out of bed and the knees hurt, the joints hurt, my back hurt. Just all of it was total dog shit. And, um, and I did recognize that my water intake was down. I was drinking maybe 30 ounces of water a day. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't, I wasn't doing very well with my water intake. And the very first thing I did is I committed to myself that I was going to bump it to 75 that was step one. It wasn't getting into a workout routine. Just water. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, going out and running a mile. It was just, I'm going to put more water in me. My joints start feeling better. And then, um, I did add walking. So I, my ex and I, we would go out and walk a couple miles, two or three times a week. Um, so that was probably January of, so there's a bit of an equation how this goes. One plus one plus whatever, whatever equaled, I got fit. So those are the first couple variables that changed. Um, We would walk a couple miles and we would do that consistently. She needed to walk because she had a bad back. And that's a critical element for somebody who has a bad back is you have to walk. And so we're walking for her and also walked for me because I needed to, I knew that if I walked, some sort of improvement wouldn't happen. Um. And then the two miles turned into three miles. My 75 ounces turned to 100 ounces. My 100 ounces turned to 128, which, you know, was, uh, ultimately I wanted to do a gallon a day. Um, and um, then July, I guess it was late July, early August, she and I had the talk. What year? Of 18. Um, the same year I was 41. Okay. So most to the lay person from the outside looking in, Oh, he got divorced. He got fit. No, I started the, I started the putting the pieces in play. I started sorting myself out well before the divorce happened, but there is something about being divorced (laughs) is that I had time and angst, a lot of heartache. And, um, I never saw a therapist. Um, I never, I really, I've got some friends some some pretty good friends, but I didn't really have people that, you know, like a like a super tight best friend where I could go and he and I could have a beer and I could you right, know just talk I could everything talk it all out. Yeah. No, most of my <clears throat> tears 
most of my tears happened on my runs. The sorting myself out, you know, it came from, it, it, it came from the suffering in the run. This, you know, and I'm, I started that when I was 41 and I'm 43 and I don't think I'll ever stop running because of it. It's the sort of therapy that I can't get any, you know, the skateboard comes close. Right. The skateboard comes close, but you know, the, um, the sort of working through the pain of going through that, dude, it only came through fitness. It was the only way it was going to happen. And um, so I do, you know, he got divorced, he got fit. You know, that did happen. I cared about getting fit before that. And the reasons for it was that um, my biological mom, she passed away when I'm, I just found out recently, 47. From? Uh, just not taking care of herself. I don't actually know. I think she had like heart failure or some shit, um, or like a massive heart attack or, or a stroke. I don't really know. She drugs and alcohol of her life. Right. Um, so she just really abused herself. Um, my, my stepbrother, um, he and I talked about it a little bit, but so I cared about getting healthy because I have kids and I know how painful it was for my dad to pass away when I was 17. And I don't want them to have to deal with that any sooner than they absolutely have to. Um, so, and I just, I didn't want to feel like shit. Again, I don't want to do something unless I can be good at it. I don't want to live life unless I can be right, good exactly. at it. You know, and so feeling like shit was really holding me back. And, um... And I knew the working out would improve my mood and would make me a better person to be around. Like, you know all those things. But then being finally motivated enough to do something about it, that happened a couple weeks after I turned 41. Um, the reason that the, the gains were got was because I need, you know, it was my therapy. And, um, and then having, I went through a couple of relationships afterwards, which... Oh boy, um, <laughs> trying to have a relationship after going through a divorce and then having, um, having just sort of my, my story with losing my, my dad when I was young and then my mom not really raising me, like that's too much on top of a divorce. And then you have to try to start over and learn how to have relationships with women again. Dude, holy cow, rough 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 the first time i really had strong affection towards another woman after my divorce was was the divorce was by far worse because of the entirety of what it did to my family right right but for me personally kind of falling in love and losing that after the divorce was way it was it was really awful really 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 awful and you know it's the sort of thing that you just have to go through you know um it was either go through and it's not like i realized that while i was while i was going through it like i was just you going, never do yeah <laughs> but in hindsight i was like well you have to go through that in order to get you know to, to where you're going to where you're going anyway so it was either that or just not ever have another relationship again for a guy like me it's not terribly practical you know that's 
I enjoy female companionship. Right. You know, yeah, it's just wrong with that. Yeah, it's just <laughs> it's it's just um, it's in my DNA. Can't help it. Don't want to help it. Um, so anyway, so that's that's the sort of fitness thing. And then once you get once you get to the point of um, the walks turn into partial runs, and the runs turn into full runs, and then the runs start getting quick. And then I started seeing improvements in you my start time. Beating yourself and everything. Yeah, you start competing with yourself, and um, it really turns into um, something you, you're clearly addicted to, and something that you don't want to change. Like you, I really, really like that aspect of myself. I can go out right now. Right now, I could turn the mics off. I can go run four miles. I like the ability to say that I can do that, and and I do inspire. I do aspire to doing longer runs, but I don't really. I only really care about being fit. I don't care about having massive endurance. Um, I've had too many other things to invest my time right. in. I know Absolutely. a dude that does ultras, and he puts in a couple hours a day most days of the week in order to reach that level of fitness. And I, there are other things I care about more you know, than, than spending two hours of my day working towards um, increasing my fitness to that level, you know. Too many, too many demands of my time for that. Well, I've been there. Yeah, I definitely. I know you have. Fitness you have. addiction. I guess my uh, two hundred and fifty pounds and abs. Yeah, my, I guess my fitness addiction. Uh, I'll call it an addiction. Didn't start as an addiction. Never does. But started in high school. Uh, had a girlfriend break up with me for uh, football, do it. football player. Oh, that'll definitely do so, it. So, you know, I was like, I want to get her back. You know, I'm a man. Oh, really? Yeah. So you want so, to get her back. You want to make her regret it. No, I wanted to get her back. Okay. I really thought I liked this girl. Uh, you know how you are in high school. Oh, it's super know, real. You're in love. Man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> super real. So, uh, yeah, I worked out. I, I mean, I started getting into it big time. Uh, and it was just in base, basement gym, my dad's house. You remember? I mean, I'm sure yeah. you've seen it. I saw it last and, week. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it just, it grew from there, you know, and I got her back. Wow. And then I, well done. Then I ended up cheating on her. <laughs> well, dude, you had all those muscles. You couldn't keep the women yeah, off you. I couldn't yet. handle myself. I couldn't handle myself. Yeah. So I don't know, after high school, I just continue. And it's funny because, you know, in high school, you, you see all these, these guys you go to high school with and, a lot of them are bigger and they're football players and you're like, yeah, I just want to be as big as that guy. You know, I just want to be as big as that guy. And then when you continue working out and those guys don't, it's yeah. just like, yeah. And then it took over my life, you know, and I won't say it was a, a bad thing for my life, but the addiction to being big definitely, uh, took toll on relationships yeah. Family relationships, girlfriend relationships, friend was, relationships. It was a massive priority. Yeah, it was obsession. It was just everything revolved around that. To the point, you know, and, and even still, to a degree uh, of being healthy, you know, I weigh out every meal I have. Yeah. It's weighed out, you know, right there. So I'd like to add, because I know you, I know I have the full context of what you're talking about. People who are listening to this might not. So what are you doing today? Like, so, um, 
your business? Busybody Meals. Busybody Meals. Yeah, meal prep company. Meal prep company. But that came about from all this, in a sense. I've always had people asking, you know, meal prep for me, meal prep for me years ago. Yeah. And uh, I was going, I was working for my dad, just doing auctions for him four days a week. And then that was part time, you know, and then it was just basically three or four hours at the gym a day. Oh, no shit. It was upset. I mean, it was yeah, bad. I knew you were. I mean, yeah, I was spending a lot of time in there. <laughs> you, were, you were big, dude. Yeah. You were big. Yeah, I mean, I shouldn't have spent, but it wasn't like the addiction to lifting the weights. It wasn't like just the addiction to the mirror look. It was just like that, like you said, the therapy with running. It was like that yeah. was my space where I was in control uh-huh. of everything. I was in control and that's where that's why I fell in love with it. Nobody else controlled any aspect of my body and what I was going to make it look like. If I wanted to get bigger, I knew I had to eat more. You know, I knew I had to work out more. I knew I had to do more of everything and nobody else would I had control of it. You know, nobody else had control of it. It was me and that's what I loved about it is I controlled it. Nobody there was no external factors that can control that besides me. So, you, so this is high school, you're 25 now? 26. 26 Turning now. 27 next month. Um, so, this is 12 years? Yes. It's been 12, 12 years consistently. So, so to, to give you a timeline, got out of high school, still worked for my dad full time, uh, and then we kind of had a falling out and then that's when that's when my life kind of went to complete shit for probably five or six years lifting was always there though right lifting was always there but it was almost a problem because that was i could get away from every other fuck up decision i was making in my life yeah and just lift and and i would just justify it to myself because you know i'm doing i'm you know i mean it's just like it was I was justifying life, everyday life to myself because I worked my ass off in the gym. So, okay. And it was, it was, I mean, it, it was a waste. I wouldn't say a waste in a, in a sense. Cause like we talked about every, everywhere, you, like every path in life, it isn't a waste, you know, it's like, it gets you to where you're going. Yeah. So, and I learned a lot. I met a lot of cool people and saw a lot of cool shit. You know, it's like I'll never, I can never replace that time. Like, there's only so many people in the world that you meet up with and you start talking and you're like, yeah, you know, I've seen a guy squat a thousand pounds. You know, it's like, yeah. I know it's not cool to you, but. You well, <laughs> I mean, I, I saw, uh, I saw Jameson Peel take and do a 5 0 grind, like at Kings Highway Skate Park. There was, um, that picture actually right there to the right of you. Another four foot above that. No, the one with yeah, that one. Yeah. Another four foot above that was the very. This that's under a bridge, and so there's concrete that makes up the support of that bridge, and so there's a natural lip at the top of that concrete, just before you get to the to the steel girders that make up the roadway, right? That they put the roadway on top of. If I were to guess, that was from the ground to the vert, which right there in that picture, I'm in vert. 
um, the vertical part of the wall. Right. That was probably about a six to seven foot tranny transition. And then from seven foot to the lip of that was at least another six foot. So we're talking 13, 14 foot off the ground on DIY concrete. Jameson Peels taken they they, they had they had a, a moped and they, they had a runway the and they were pulling him on the moped so he could get enough speed to hit that tranny and go up and do a five oh grind on the lip of the fucking the top of the wow. of the 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 bridge support. This is something you'll never forget. Yeah. <laughs> you're you're watching a dude squat right. a thousand pounds right. is me seeing that dude do a five oh grind yeah. that like if I were to fall from that height, I'd break something. And he he was doing it and pulling it off. Yeah, that's wild. Insane. Yeah. No, I I get I get what you're talking about. So the obsession, you know, with it kind of like outed me five years, and I was working for my dad, and this is when this is how Busybody and everything came about, and uh, sitting there one morning before work, <clears throat> and I'm like, I just need to make some money. You know, <laughs> just money. need money. Were you I, single? No. Oh, you weren't. No, I had a girlfriend. Oh. The one I'm with now, and which she was like a total life changer. If I wouldn't have found her, I'd probably be dead somewhere. That's how it happens, man. It was just like she is just a godsend for my life, and it was like I couldn't find a more perfect person that's like went through these times with me yeah. and not bitched or complained about it. Just wrote it out with me and to where we are today, which I'm not going to say we're anything, but we're definitely a lot further than where we were when we started. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I was sitting there, I said, you know what, I need to make some money. So I started texting a bunch of people on my phone, <laughs> selling hamburgers <laughs> and rice. Sure. And I'm like, I'm, I'm just going to do it. You know, I had no plan. This is on like a Thursday or something. Selling hamburgers and rice. Well, I sold 60 pounds of hamburgers. Well, that's a start before Saturday, and I'm like, "Fuck, I got to make all these hamburgers." <laughs> you sold it, <laughs> yeah. I got all this money, you know, from everybody with its expectation. Oh, so wow. I, I was getting cash app, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, now I got to fucking make this for real. So, I, uh, I my buddy gave me a grill, and I started grilling these burgers on a Saturday after we hand patted sixty. You hand patted sixty pounds. Hand sixty pounds of burgers. Jesus. <laughs> and then you cooked them on a grill. Yes. Yeah, so we'll, we'll get into that. So this first week, you know, and I, uh, I got this gas grill, got probably 30 burgers on it. I think I made like 200 burgers or something. That sounds about right. Ignorant. Uh, I had 30 burgers on it at a time. First batch, not too bad. Second batch, the fucking grill was an inferno. Uh. <laughs> Just a fucking fireball. They were charred, yeah, they were charred on the outside. I, I, I couldn't keep the, you know, the grease was all over. Yeah. It was just a nightmare. Yeah. I'm like, fuck. I had all these burgers to cook still. So I'm in, a, I'm in a panic, you know, and I don't have much money at all at this point. And uh, I didn't tell anybody I was starting this. I didn't tell my dad I was starting this, nothing. He was on a, he was on a trip. And... Uh, so I ran to Academy and got this flat top grill. Okay. And I just finished all the burgers on that. Well, after we made all those burgers, me and my girlfriend were like, we're never fucking doing this again. Yeah. <laughs> like, we got to come up with a different business model than this. So that's when we came up with the uh, individually packaged meals. I think our first, I still have the pictures, you know, of like our first menu and stuff. And 
it was like you could order chicken or I think burgers and like rice and a vegetable. It was only like two or two options, you know, yeah. maybe three options. And uh, got a lot of support, you know, from friends and stuff. And thank God, like I was in that community, so I knew a lot of people sure. in, in that life. But previous to this, so throughout high school, I uh, I got prescribed uh, Vyvanse, which is an amphetamine for ADD. Okay. Diagnosed ADD. Which I, I wish I wouldn't have taken it in a way, but like I said, I can't really say that because where would we be now if I didn't? Right, yeah. <clears throat> but I think that gave me that obsessive personality over the bodybuilding stuff. Oh, wow, yeah. To the point where it did interfere with life, you know. It interfered with everything, relationships. I wouldn't go on trips because I didn't have my fucking meals planned out. Oh. To that degree, it was just like an obsessive deal. And uh, when this is when life changed when I stopped taking all that. My life completely flipped. Oh, no shit. When I stopped taking that. My, my dad talked to me at a dinner table one night, had a breakdown. Like, I had a fucking breakdown. Balling my eyes out. Melted. Melted. Like, it was, it was one of those, like, I'll never forget it. Like, yeah. And he said something about stopping taking that. And I never thought I could, you know, because I'd been relying on it for, I think it was nine ten years so did did your structure fall away when that when you stopped taking it no my life got way better oh it got way better unbelievably better and i looked at it so that night you know i had this complete meltdown and uh i remember like it was yesterday i was just sitting downstairs and you know i'm in my room and i'm just i'm like what the fuck am i gonna do i have to do something you know there comes a time in everyone's life and if you if you come to this time you know and I'm like I gotta fucking do something like something's gotta change and maybe it's gonna have to start with this yeah so I get online I'm reading these horror stories about stopping this medication oh no shit like you're gonna fucking sleep for a month you're not gonna be able to do anything you're basically gonna be dope sick for a month I'm like fuck I didn't care I woke up the next day I was like I'm done with it didn't fucking touch it again and uh First couple of weeks were brutal, like with the tiredness and shit like that. You know what I mean? You're on amphetamine for that long. Your body becomes reliant on it. Yeah. So I remember driving to work and having to smack myself just to stay awake and oh, drive. Yeah. And, but I, I was like, I got to go through this. I got to change my life because I was with a girl. I was with a girl now that was like, this is the girl I want to be with the rest of my life. So I can't keep presenting this fucked up situation because she's not going to stay around for it forever. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's time to grow up, you know, yeah. I basically had that moment. So I quit that. Uh, and in this same couple month time frame, I quit dipping, chewing tobacco after nine years. No shit. Cold Turkey. Uh, I started taking cold showers yeah we talked about i know before. about those man i know about those i need i I need i know i need to do it the cold showers i mean and i swear by them now and they're not for everyone and not everybody needs to go through this big stupid dumbass <laughs> change you know to realize all the shit they're fucking up yeah i did and yeah. i started taking the cold showers and it was like and nobody understood it and as business developed you know busybody developed <clears throat> 
And, uh, I mean, it, it's been great. We've had a ton of support from, I mean, all my friends and family. It's just like, I can't thank everyone enough for trusting me with that and giving me a try, you know, and, and, and allowing me to do that because it's just been like, this is my own little thing. It's just like the working out. I control everything about it. I recognized some time ago, like I remember seeing you as a kid and you were just a kid. Didn't have much of an opinion. Right. Because, you know, kids are not formed people. Um, and then I did see you go through that, those, you know, I, I, there was that time when, when I was, I'd be over doing some work and you were really big back then, but you didn't talk much. Yeah. And, yeah. and, um, yeah. you were a bit of a ghost. So it, it was weird. And I kind of recognize that you're probably in your formative years. I also know that your dad's like a serious guy. Right. And he's successful. So sometimes, and I've seen other people grow up under that shadow. And I know that that with them, I don't know why I can't speak for you, but I've seen people, I've seen young people struggle under the shadow of a very successful person. Um, that in and of itself is a struggle. So, and, and, but I also knew that I was just waiting for you to find your niche. And when you're telling me that you started your own business and you're doing meal prep and it was, and focused around health conscious, busy people, I was like, Tyler found his niche. Right. Tyler found his niche. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's been, it's been great. I mean, I couldn't do it without my girlfriend. Uh, she's a nurse, you know, she's got a degree in nursing and she works part time and does this. I work part time for Scott still and do this, you know, mm. and it's just great. And it's just developing into something that's, you know, I want to take it to a, I, uh, a national level, you know, to where we're shipping all over the United States and, and take to that level, you know? Yeah, I I call it chasing it down the rabbit hole. Yes. See how just see how deep that rabbit hole gets. Yeah. And um, oh, best, it's gonna get deep. Best I can tell, rabbit holes generally get as deep as you can stand and dig them. Generally speaking. Yeah. 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 I mean, I love everything about it. You know, I love the whole idea of it. It's it's just what I I lived for so long. You know, it's like. I don't think people understand. I don't know another person that has literally they. I, I weigh. I weigh everything in grams. Yeah, I know. I know that there are probably a fair number of guys that are in the weightlifting community that probably does that. Yes, because they have specific targets and they they have their macros down so tight they know what they need to get. Yep, and they also know what they shouldn't get. You know, so they're. they're trying not to get too much of this and enough of that. And so their macros, they're working super tight. Um, I was never that guy, you no, know, don't I, 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 <laughs> but that was a huge change that I had made in my fitness journey was the difference between eating not real food and real food. Like you can't be fit without eating actual food, right? Nothing comes out of a box. Nothing is pre-made. Nothing comes from a drive-thru. 
You have to eat real food. Otherwise, you're in some level of compromise and to your body. And real food makes you feel better. Oh, my God. It's, a, it's such a difference maker. I, and I feel a little judgy because it, you don't have to look very hard to see people who are struggling. Absolutely. Physically. And I was that person. And so I know the contrast. I know the difference between being in that condition and, and feeling that way and feeling the way I do now. And if I take and fuck off for a weekend, I feel it. Like, it's not a subtle difference if I have pizza and some ice cream and, and, and eat some snack cakes or some bullshit. Because like I said earlier, I'm still a fat kid in my body. Right. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm still, I still love all my junk food, just like I did before. Um, but I also really, 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 really like feeling good. And, um, and that's why I did it. That's what people don't understand. It's like, I don't. That's an amazing gift to give to somebody. Do it ne- necessarily because I don't want to gain weight. I do it because I, I feel good. I felt, mm-hmm. you know, that's the, when I feel my best, when I perform my best is when I'm 100% on, mm-hmm. you know, it's not when I'm fucking off here and doing this and missing this and timing this wrong. It's when I, everything's on and everything. Well, and we talked about this earlier too, like knowing your body. Like, I feel like I know my, my my meat wagon really really well and i know when i'm in ketosis like a lot of people have to pee on a stick to read their ketone level no i can feel it i can feel my mental acuity get sharper i can feel everything get a little looser a little easier my energy level is consistent from the time i wake up till the time i'm ready to go to sleep and i go right to sleep usually usually um the when I'm not in ketosis, you know, when I'm when I'm carb adapted, um, I'll eat a meal and I'll immediately get sluggish. Just immediately, like ten minutes after the meal's over, I'm struggling for energy. Ready to take a nap? Yeah, I'm ready to take a nap, and sometimes <laughs> I do. Right, it's a nice nap too. Yeah, man. It is. It's a nice nap. You carb get nap. you get deep in that some bitch, like all yeah. drooling down the side of your face and shit. Deep nap, um, but. Um, yeah, there's definitely a difference. I can feel it. Um, I don't know as, if everybody's in, as attuned to their physical uh, no, body as, as, as I am. But um, just even, and particularly when I'm, when I'm going on my runs or I'm out on the bike or if I'm trying to get some sort of workout in, when I'm watching my macro, I don't ever watch my macros, but when I'm watching my diet, when I'm eating the right foods in the right way, my workouts are great when I'm not, you know, I'm struggling through that run. Exactly. Um, I, I know that some of the, the best times I've had running as far as like the, the measured times, like how many minutes that I've had in my runs are direct result of my diet and my rest was on point. Like, I know that's why those runs happen. I know that's why I hit those times. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have to guess. So it's, it's such an enormous deal. I think everybody has the, the tools to do that. And as we were talking about before, you know, maybe keto, keto is not for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I'd follow the vertical diet by Stan Efferding. I don't follow it to a T, but I base a lot of my stuff off his, his, uh, stuff, which I'll send you that book if you're interested in that. Very. Uh, which is just a lot of red meat and rice, uh, low FODMAP foods. So no, 
no major greens or whatever that can give you major uh, GI tract discomfort. Oh, really? Yeah, so I eat a lot of carrots, uh, raw carrots, uh, a little bit of spinach, or oranges every day, orange juice every day, uh, just white rice and beef, just for the, the vitamin content of the food, you know, mm-hmm. basically. Uh, and I feel great on it. Yeah. Other than what's went on you know sure which will i guess we can dive into that <laughs> i do have i do have one question i was talking to a friend over the weekend um because one of my complaints with having lost the weight is that um my skin's not tight and she was suggesting that autophagy might be a solution like like when you do intermittent fasting you go into a state of autophagy do you know anything about that mm okay i've got more research to do yeah she says it, it has to do with um i guess there's a great benefit to uh cell regeneration and so that if you have excess skin skin you know saggy skin shit like that you can't go from a 36 to a 28 without uh having a little extra baggage <laughs> a little bit of extra skin laying around and, yeah. and i i i daydream about the idea of having something flat enough to where there might be some definition i'm sort of knocking on the doorstep if i take and get a little bit more serious about my workouts and tighten my diet just a little bit more and probably only a couple two or three months away from really breaking ground that i've never ever broken as far as having definition well good which is um We'll talk about that shit off mic and how to get there. Because I know you, I know you know the answers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, so one of the reasons that we're doing this podcast now is that you're getting ready to go on a journey that I want to be able to to be able to. Hopefully, it's a short journey. Yeah, it, <laughs> I'm I'm confident it'll be a short journey, and yeah. we'll be able to return back to the mic and do a follow up to this. And and have a real badass story to follow up on. Um, so, Tyler, you want to talk about this um, this journey yeah. you're getting ready to take? I'll, I guess I'll just start at the beginning when all this unfolded, like what I did earlier. By the way, the the Tyler that I that is locked into my memory was, like you said, 250 pounds with abs at at six foot. So, um, so sitting here now, I look like a cancer patient. <laughs> no, dude, you still look healthy. Yeah. Um, but it's, for somebody who might not be as familiar with what that might be, if you got abs, you're not fat. Right. And 250 pounds is quite a lot of person, especially on a six foot frame. So what diameter was your arm, for instance, or your chest? Uh, I, I never met. I mean, I was probably up over 20 in my arms. I mean, buying clothes were probably difficult, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. Everything yeah. was. Yeah, you were big. It's definitely nicer now, you know, fitting in the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it fit, fits a lot more loose. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I love that look, though. And just like I told you earlier, it was like, it was, it's bigorexia. You know? Yeah. You, even at that weight, you walk by the mirror and you're just like it's never enough yeah and you know and and having to accept that that i'm never gonna be enough like in that standard i don't know it's made me grow as a person and that's why this whole journey within this past six months has just been like it's it's hard to say that it's been credible for 
other aspects of my life, but it has. Sure. It absolutely has. It's brought me back to hunting, fishing, you know, shooting guns, doing the shit that I love to do before the obsession with the bodybuilding if, came about. It forced you into a state of balance, I bet. Right. Yeah. You know, because I couldn't, I can't have that goals out the window, you know, medically speaking, it's like, it's, I'm never going to get. you be like, able to return to it? I'll be able to return to it okay. in a different capacity. Okay. I'll never, and we'll get into that, you know, like what, what my surgeon said and everything like that. I'll never be like, I wanted to be a freak, you know, when I walk around, people <laughs> would think it's disgusting. You know? Like I wanted to be that big, you know? Yeah. And I don't, nobody gets that, but I get it, you know? And, uh, but that'll never happen. And I'm okay with that. You know, mm. it doesn't, it doesn't bug me as much as I thought it would, you know, when all this was before this happened, you know, I'd always had thoughts, you know, like what, what would happen if I did get sick and like, I had to give all this up, you know, and I, I just remember thinking about it and it's just like, fuck, I can never give it up. I can never get, it was like in my brain, this is what I was doing. And now that's happened, it doesn't bother me as much as I thought. And maybe that's just because I haven't allowed it to, and I've just molded to whatever's going on. But, uh, I think finding getting back to your old joy was probably a part of it too, right? I mean, it, it's been great. It's been it's been great for my relationship too because I would my girlfriend would train with me for three hours, four hours a day, mm-hmm. and she was she. I mean, she's a fucking phenomenal athlete. She's better than me. Yeah. I mean, she was like she deadlift four hundred pounds at one hundred twenty body weight. Jesus. She was strong. I mean, she was like <laughs> she's good. I mean, she was really good. And she was just a natural at it too. I I met her at the gym. Yeah. And uh, I asked her if she wanted to lift. You know, this is when I was just like going through my fucked up stage. I had this stupid ass looking goatee, this uh-uh. long ass goatee, like, <laughs> like about four pubes <laughs> around my chin. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I asked her if she wanted to lift, and the rest is like history. We just lifted together, and that was our thing, you know. And she was phenomenal at it and it's helped our relationship because it got to the point where she she still enjoyed it but she didn't enjoy the four hours there yeah you know she enjoyed lifting weights but she wanted to get in and out i was just like i wanted to be there just fucking lifting weights for hours you know and she didn't want to do that and so this kind of level everything out and it really gave me a base to really start the next chapter of my life you know i feel like we go through these life is in chapters you know it's just like and just like you i mean you've had multiple chapters in your life yeah you know so this is just like the next chapter and i'm ready to fucking close this this chapter out yeah <laughs> it's coming that it, it, you yeah. will have it closed soon yeah so to get in a little bit of my uh medical background history uh crohn's disease runs in my family if you don't know what crohn's is it's like an inflammation of the gi tract and uh, and f- I'd say early February, I started having blood in my stool, and I didn't think nothing of it. I've had it happen before, you know, and I didn't think nothing of it. But this time it had lasted for like a month, and my girlfriend, you know, I finally told her about it because oh yeah, oh she, she was unaware. Yeah, she didn't know. Secrets and, uh, don't work well. And I had this, so my tongue. I got pictures of it. It's called geographic tongue. I don't yeah, know, you ever heard of it? I'm not. It looks like your fucking tongue's like a map. 
it's really strange. Google it. Or I, I can pull up a picture of it. Yeah, but, uh, I'll Google it. Uh, well, I'd be alarmed. No, it's not. It just looks weird. Okay. But uh, so I had geographic tongue, blood in my stool, and series listening. <laughs> and uh, it came to a point where I was up at night, you know, just cramping. And every time I'd eat, I could, I'd get through about halfway through a meal, and it was just like major cramping in my stomach. And I just didn't. I'd something, I knew something was up, you know, and it was to yeah, the point. Yeah, because you're eating super healthy. Yeah, every day. And I'm yeah. trying to eat a lot. And when I can't get through meals, I'm like, motherfucker. Like, I'm going to force myself through this because that's what I got to do. You know, I, yeah, I, you're I, obsessed with getting. The, no, I couldn't lose a pound, you know. It's yeah. just like. So, uh, you're getting through half a meal and I just be stomach turning knots, you know, in and out. And I just like, fuck. So, finally, went to the doctor. He's a primary doctor, and I told him, basically, I said, I think I have Crohn's disease. He's like, well, you can't just say that, you know. You can't just assume that. And I said, well, you know, it runs my family. I've seen, I seen my mom go through it. You know, i seen her get diagnosed with it and everything. She got diagnosed with it. She almost died. They didn't know what it was. And uh, You told him that story, and he still didn't listen. No. Oh, so he sent me out for a CT. Uh, after I told him. You know, he, he just wanted to give me some med- medication and send me home. And I said, I, I, I said, you know, I don't think you get it. I said, if I don't get an answer today, I'm probably going to be in the ER tonight. You know, like I'm going to go back to the fucking hospital and get something done because it's it's to the point where I'm scared. You know, like there's something, some bleeding or something shit going on. Yeah. You know, some serious stuff. And uh, so he, he sent me out for emergency CT, got that done. He called me later that night. It was like nine o'clock at night. I'm already feeling like shit. And told me I had some colitis. You know, he wrote me a prescription. And then he told me about my enlarged heart. Uh, so I got a hold of him. Or, Maybe that's why he diagnosed you wrong, because he's looking at the wrong body part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I said my stomach hurt, motherfucker. Yeah. Don't tell me about my heart. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad he did. Yeah, uh, no kidding. So. Happy accident. Yeah. I, uh, I talked to our family friend. He's a doctor. And. You know, we talked about my previous uh, steroid use and stuff, you know, which I'm not shy to talk about. You know, I talk to anyone about it, you know, yeah. like major conversations. I'm not shy about it at all. But uh, and he's like, you know, I wouldn't be super concerned about it. You've been working out seriously for 12 years. You've uh, used testosterone. It's like having a large heart at your size and your athletic background isn't abnormally your heart's a muscle it adapts to the stress it puts you put on it you know that sounds like a plausible to the lay person that sounds plausible and uh i'm like yeah you're probably right you know he didn't want to worry me i think you know i just didn't think he because i was already in a stress state it was just like yeah everything was unfolding but scheduled with the gi doctor uh family friend my mom's doctor and he got me in super cool dude like, I couldn't ask for, like, a more perfect doctor, you know. When you go in and you talk to him, he actually makes sense, you know. It's just like, he's just a people person. He's, he's relatable. Good, yes, yeah. very good doctor. And uh, he got me in for immediate immediate uh, colonoscopy, like, the next week. And I kind of put the heart thing off, nothing major. Mm-hmm. Because I wanted to figure one thing out at a time. So, uh 
went in for the colonoscopy, got done with that, came out. He's like, uh, you have Crohn's in your transverse colon. He's like, if you were any older or like, he's like, I can't even believe you made it in here, you know, to do this. He goes, your colon was so swollen that, you know, it's like, he's like, it's one of the most swollen colons I've ever seen in my life. So inflamed, you know? And, uh, so he gave me some, some just pill medication and the medication you want to start me on is Humira, which I'm on right now. Yeah. And that's an injectable every other week. Okay. So, uh, he couldn't get that immediately, you know? So he Mm -hmm. just put me on something temporary. I was fine for like a week. Scheduled with a cardiologist, just get my heart checked out. And, uh, I was fine for a week. And that's when shit, it was like shit just hit, but went bad. You know, it's just like the whole body just said the whole, I, and I've never been sick like that, you know, and I never really understood it until it happened to me. Like that your body can really like f- when you got an autoimmune disease flip and just be like fucked up. Yeah. So I remember sitting on the couch at home. Our girlfriend was there and I, I still remember it. Like it was yesterday, you know, I just started getting this real bad it band pain. And, uh, I'm a huge advocate on stretching, rolling out, you know, everything, mobility, yada, 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 yoga, you know, I, I did a lot, I did do a ton of stretching before bed, you know, so I'm just trying to stretch this pain away and it's just like, it's not stretchable fucking pain. It was like, it's there. It was like something I've never felt. It was just, my shit was locked up and I, and I tried to get off the couch and my whole body would be fucking trembling trying to get off the couch. And I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with me? You know? So Waited until the next morning. I, did, I waited. I didn't sleep at all. Uh, this is the... I was talking about where I didn't sleep for multiple days. It was just like... It was unreal. I just never felt like that in my entire life. But doctors gave me some uh, prednisone, which took care of it mostly, which is great. It was like... It takes like all the inflammation out of your yeah, body. It kills so the felt, inflammation, but then doesn't do anything about the cause of the inflammation, right? right? I felt great. Yeah, and it's it's bad for you to stay on long term. Yeah, but it was just a temporary fix. And this is like so the IT band pain started, and then I just got this. My left foot started getting this spot on the top of it. And I got pictures of it where it's just it was just red, and it felt like it was just bone on bone. Like I've never felt anything in my life. I remember wake or not waking up, getting out of bed, three in the morning. Just soaking in the bathtub to try to make it feel better. Jesus. Do, doing anything I could, you know, just sitting in the fucking bathtub, just soaking. And I remember just being so dead ass tired, just, you know, trying to get some relief on this foot. And trying to get through the night, probably. It would just throb. It was just a fucking throbbing pain. Nothing would help. Nothing would help. The prednisone helped. And, uh. And so was, you, was that, was that related to the heart issue like what, what no that caused, was related to the Crohn's that the, was the Crohn's. the Crohn's causing the rheumatoid arthritis oh shit so the inflammation everywhere and it just happened to be in my foot you know it just that's where it was and it can happen anywhere you know and I haven't had any problems knock on wood <laughs> it's a good then. thing it didn't present elsewhere yeah there's other places where a guy would rather it not right. be <laughs> <laughs> right, right so uh yeah the that foot was, was as far away from that as possible yeah that was uh I mean, I was, I was sick, like for real sick, you know, not just regular sick. And then, uh, that got treated, got on the Humira and I mean, we tapered off the prednisone. I feel great now, better than I felt in 10 years. 
I, w- I wish I would have went to the doctor 10 years ago and, and just got it fixed. Yeah. Because I, like Could've I went through a lot. earlier, through. I used to have to carve out an hour in the morning of my day. You know, I'd wake up, shit, bowel movement, whatever yeah, you want yeah, to yeah, say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, eat, shit again, and then take a shower and then go on with my day and hope I didn't have another bowel movement before yeah. my work day, you know, picked up. So it was like every, everywhere we had to go. It was like my morning was a drawn out process. It was an hour and a half, two hour process of just getting that in to the point where I can leave. Yeah. So you can leave the house with right. any level of confidence. Yep. And I knew I had a problem for years and I, I wish I would have taken care of it. And I don't know. It's just like looking back on it now. And even the doctor said my GI doctor. So going through all this, my GI doctor told me, he's like, uh, You've been malnourished for years. I'm like, what? He's like, because it was you're born processing properly, or yes. He goes, I can't. He's like, I can't even believe you're you're as big as you are. He goes, because your body hasn't absorbed nutrients. Oh no, kidding! In years, like it's supposed to. I'm like, so I'm like riding on this. You know, we're going through this. I uh, this is before the heart issue came about, and he's like, when we, when we get you treated, we're gonna get you bigger and stronger than you've ever been. I'm like, fuck yeah, we are. <laughs> <laughs> he was speaking your language. Yeah, so I'm like riding on that, you know, so I'm telling everybody that, you know, I'm like, fuck, he told me I'm going to get bigger and stronger than I ever was. And this is before I found out about everything else. So fast forward a little bit. The, while I'm going through this, I go over and meet with a cardiologist over at Missouri Baptist and uh, tell him I had some issues going on. I have, I've had him for like I said, the earliest time I can remember was probably three and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. I was in the gym and, uh, I had some kind of heart S I don't know if it's SVT or palpitations. I haven't worn a heart monitor yet to really pin down what it is. They're hoping yeah. after all this stuff, it just kind of does, doesn't happen. They're hoping that what's going on internally is the problem. Okay. So, uh, I call it SVT. So I just had this heart episode where my heart is just frantically beating out of my chest. And like, you can see it on the outside. I'm not short of breath. There's no pain, nothing like that. It's just going nuts. So it's, I mean, it's an uncomfortable feeling because you're like, shit, it's like your pump station, you know, you need that. (laughs) I need that. It's kind of important. Yeah. So, uh, I remember that three years ago, three and a half years ago or so. And then just over the years, you know, it just started happening more and more. And it was never an everyday thing. It was never an every week thing. It was just like some weeks it happened two times. It wouldn't happen for a month. Then it happened again, you know. And, and it did progressively get worse with the frequency and the uh, amount of time that it would happen. And I couldn't get it under control. Okay. You know, because usually it would happen. It would happen in the gym, you know, and I'd just go lay by myself, flat on the ground, and just breathe and just get it back in rhythm. Have you ever talked to some of the guys that shared the gym time with you since you've been properly diagnosed? And they'd be like, Jesus, that's what was going on? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've talked to, I mean, my gym, like, we go to uh, Tank's training facility in Granite City. Awesome gym. Like, it's like a family of powerlifters, you know? It's like... You know, we're all friends. We all text. We all talk. You know, we all, you know, we all chat. You know, we're all on social media together, whatever. Uh, so everybody knows what's going on. And mm. weird story is, so I go over for the uh, cardiologist appointment. 
he does he does an EKG and he said there's a small blip, you know. I said okay. Oh, he's I want to do a echocardiogram on you. I said all right. So I'm like hobbling over to the hospital, going through all this arthritic pain from the Crohn's. Yeah, Crohn's got you fucked up. Crohn's got me all fucked up. I'm going through all that shit, so it's just like I'm a mental mind fuck. I'm going through. It's just a, it was just like a rough part of my life, and uh, go in for the echocardiogram, leave. His secretary calls me and she's like, uh, he wants you to come up for, come in for a follow-up. I said, okay. She's like, it's nothing major. Just wants to talk to you about some stuff. I said, okay. So, uh, we can talk about the weather on the phone. Yeah, we can talk about whatever on the (laughs) phone. Come on. Nothing major. (laughs) And of course, you know, while all this is happening, it's COVID time. And this is the beginning of COVID, you know, when like the fucking world's ending. You know, so it's like, I remember calling my dad and I'm just like, I don't know what the fuck to do. Like, I feel like everything's just dawning down on me. You know, the whole world's just like going to shit. And you remember, I mean, when COVID first started, like we talked about earlier, it's just like, people were like, fuck. Everybody was freaking. (laughs) Everybody was freaking. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh. Like, I, I remember seeing some stupid meme, um. Would you go outside without a mask if it looked like this? And they had like big COVID things sort of right. floating in the air. Like, like if you could see COVID, would you go outside without a mask? Right. And it's like, and, it, and the, the air is just full of all this stuff. Like you couldn't possibly go outside without getting COVID without a mask. It was just sort of overstating yes. what they thought was going on at the time, which of course now we, we know it's not yeah, what they I thought. Mean, it's yeah. still a thing. Still but when you, they first came out, it was a death sentence. You know, it's just like yeah, yeah, you were in for it. <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, is like, the fucking Italy fucked everybody's mind, right? Because they just yeah. shut down. Well, they shut, down, but the the people were like, there were pictures of like them stacking bodies in the well, streets well, people because people are Italy is the that's the oldest population exactly the like there there's the a world. there's a plausible explanation right. as to why that happened right. that makes total sense when you look at the preponderance of evidence yeah, but when you but see the picture you're like the picture like <laughs> holy fuck I'm not leaving my house for 6 right. weeks yeah so that's when everything was shut down you know and going through all that and I went over for the echocardiogram they called me back I'm sitting in his off in his waiting room or the doctor's office or whatever, and he comes in and I said, "Is everything good?" And he's like, "No, not really." I'm like, "Fuck." He said, "Do you you have a uh, congenital bicuspid aortic valve?" And uh, you were saying that a friend knew, of yours already had that. So yeah, a friend of mine already had it. And. Had he given you a thorough explanation of what that meant? Yes, because I, I, you know, I, I am. I'm a question asker. So when he told me that when we first joined the gym, you know, and I talked to him, he went through and explained it. Did I explain it to you? Do you know what it is? Yeah, you okay. explained it to me. But I mean, go ahead and so give it a, a. Your aortic valve is shaped like a Mercedes emblem. So you got three flaps. You know, three flaps. Mm-hmm. Like in a bicuspid aortic valve is where you're born, where two of your flaps are, they never opened up. So oh, they're okay. just sealed together. So uh, basically you got half a valve working. So it's got to work two times as hard. And sometimes it presents itself and a lot of times it doesn't. 
because it still works fine. Because of your work level, though, because of what you're yes, doing. Yes, I, I definitely accelerated it. Is no doubt about it. Definitely. And yeah. that's probably what caused it into, like, put you in arrhythmia or whatever? What, so, he said I had a bicuspid aortic valve, and he said my ejection fraction was at 20, 20%, 25%, uh, and that's how much your, your heart's flowing out, you know? Okay. I was making a joke in my head. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. So, uh, yeah, to hear all this, you know, while I'm going through the other shit, it's just like life kind of dawned on me. And uh, he's like, we're going to do some more testing, but we're looking at open heart surgery. And I hear that. I'm just like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Like, Can we get the Crohn sorted out first? Yeah, can, can we can get one, at a, one at a time? Yeah. So uh, Crohn's got sorted out, you know, went in, went in for more testing. Will this fix the ED? <laughs> <laughs> I hope. I'm fucking with you. I hope. <laughs> uh, hey, I'm just joking, people. Jokes. They're yeah. just jokes. So, uh, so going for more testing, heart MRI, heart CTA, trans esophageal echocardiogram. And uh, this is all during COVID time. So I'm going in. They got to fucking temp you. You got to wear a mask. They make oh, you a scrub in. They ask you questions. You You're know. lucky to even be able to do that. Though. I know. If it would have been slightly deemed right. optional, you wouldn't. I mean. Right. So uh, go over and get all the testing done. They also find out, which I was fine with the valve. You know, I didn't have any major side effects of this leading up besides the heart pounding thing. Yeah. And he, none of the doctors seemed that worried about it. You know, it's just. Because there was no pain or, you know, my heart isn't fucked up. It's just wasn't developed right. The valve, you know, sure. it's, my heart itself is great. I got a calcium score of zero and no blockages, no nothing. You know, everything's great. My valve's not stenoic. It's just regurgitating. So you got two things that can happen to a valve when they want to replace it. It gets stenoic, which is hard. Yeah. And mine... It's just leaky because the, the flaps aren't lining up, so it's just regurgitant valve. So there's nothing wrong with the actual tissue, you know. It just wasn't developed right. So they also found I had a uh, thoracic aortic aneurysm right out of my aorta, which I don't know if you know what that is. An aneurysm. It's just like you got your aorta, mine's blown out. Okay. So it's weaker. So basically. From that point forward, it was just like, I'm not supposed to be lifting weights at all. You know, and I told him, I said, you know, I'm going to be lifting weights. I said, if this thing would have blown out, it probably would have blown out when I was lifting 500 pounds two months ago. Yeah. You know, so, and they don't have studies, and we even talked about it, you know, they don't have studies on athletes that have mm -hmm. this problem. They do studies on 75-year-old men that have dissections from moving a refrigerator up a fucking flight of stairs or something, you know, not somebody who's been lifting weights, who's probably had this for years. Yeah. You know, and that's it goes hand in hand, and I never understood it. I talked to the surgeon about it. I talked to the cardiologist about it. The bicuspid valve goes hand in hand with the aneurysm, and they say, uh -oh. I asked the surgeon, I said, so why is that? He goes, we have no clue. He goes, one theory is that the tissue develops, the tissue for the valve is the same tissue for the aorta when the embryo develops and everything. And it, there's just a dysfunction in it when it develops. So all of it's, it's messed up. Yeah. Okay. Right? So, uh, 
so yeah, I just met with a surgeon uh, two weeks ago. So they want to do, I thought I was going to go in and have the mechanical valve put in. Okay. So I started kind of scouting. I, you know, I've been doing research. I'm a researcher, you know, so when I get I, into something, so I'm hours on. Yeah, we went through a few, like you're you're an asker. Right. Oh, you absolutely. Know, so the, an asker is a person who, when given an opportunity to do research, yes. will ask and ask and I used ask. to get yeah. limited on questions. My dad would tell me on the way to the oh, farm because I'd be asking so many fucking questions. <laughs> he would have to limit me. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm putting myself in those shoes and my, you know, my, both my, well, when you get kids, you'll know. Right. Like, they don't need motivation to talk when they get to certain ages. There are certain phases where they just don't, don't stop. stop. Talking. Yeah, and and it's like, and, and sometimes it's talking, sometimes it's question asking. And I, I know exactly what he's talking about, yes, for I sure. I was a question asker. I mean, yeah. I asked about, which I don't regret it, because, I mean, I learned a lot of shit that way. Well, and I still ask a lot of questions. Yes. I ask more questions that's needed, but you, you don't know what questions are needed until after you ask them all. Well, just like talking to the surgeon after all this stuff, you know, he's talking to me, and, and he's like, you know what this is? I'm like, yeah. Like, I already know what it is. Like, yeah. I've done my, I, I, you, like, he's like, you know, by cuspid valve. And I'm like, yeah, he starts to draw it out. I'm, I'm like, yeah, I already know. Like, yeah, oh, I have my board scheduled next yeah. week. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be, I'll be scrubbing yeah. in with you in a few months. I, uh, so I thought I was going to get the mechanical valve. Talked to a guy on Instagram that's went through the same thing, power lifter and everything. And, uh, he went in for emergency surgery, I guess, cause they found a giant aneurysm on him. And the bicuspid valve, put a mechanical valve in it. And one thing that scared me is he said, you'll never sleep again, like a full night. He goes, because you hear that ticking. Hmm. Every heartbeat, you know, you hear you hear the metal. And I'm like, fuck, you know. So met with this surgeon, and we did a lot of research on We were talking about going to uh, the Cleveland Heart Clinic in Ohio. Yeah. And... Cause that's like the best, that's top of the line heart deal. You know, it's like the best of the best out there. And they had a, we were watching videos me and my girlfriend. On <laughs> it's, it's top gun of surgery. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on uh minimal invasive. Okay. Uh, surgery. So when I met with this surgeon, you know, it was basically like, if he doesn't offer that, we're going to have to go somewhere else. Well, he offered it and this is supposed to be a great heart program, but minimally invasive so it's not the full split yeah uh it's only a four inch incision they okay. still got to break the breastbone go in he's confident that he can reshape my valve wow and uh, so you're gonna be able to avoid the mechanical yes Excellent. hopefully he's he's very confident in it so yeah exactly this is real uh, wood yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> so he's confident we can he can reshape it and then uh they're basically cut out the aneurysm and put some kind of Gore-Tex material tube in and close me up and move on. And I'm sure it'll be monitored the rest of my life. Sure. Uh, which I'm not disappointed about. Like, I'm not mad about because I think everybody, I tell everybody now, you know, especially pe- people that want to get hard into gym stuff, you know, they ask me questions. I'm like, go get your heart checked out. Sure. You know, I mean, I was born with this problem. I didn't fucking create this problem. It's not bad advice. And I wouldn't have probably pushed things in my life, like drugs and whatnot, 
testosterone Mm -hmm. like I did if I would have known I had this problem, you know, that, that could have, I, he's even said it himself. I said, you know, is this something that I did? He said, no, like, this isn't anything you did. He said, it's just, this is when it presents, presents itself Mm -hmm. in your late twenties, early thirties. This is when your issues, if you're going to have issues, this is when they present. Oh, wow. And, uh, I'm sure I accelerated that with the level of abuse that I put my body through, yeah. but you know, it was, it was going to happen anyways. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. So I'm scheduled for open heart a week from today. No shit. Dude. That's a, <sighs> I got moved up. It was August 3rd and then, uh, they moved it up, so I'm going to be there at 5.30 in the morning. And, you know, everyone asks me, and they're like, oh, you know, are you anxious about it? you nervous about it? You know, And I'm not. I'm not right now. Well, I Nothing mean. Nothing gets me until, like, the, the, the when, when I have to make the drive to the hospital, I'm going to have some butterflies going on for sure. Because sure. uh, I never had to put myself in that. I mean, they, they, they got to go in and shut your heart off and work on it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, they, like, they stop it from beating and hope they get the fucking thing going back again. So... Yeah, I'm definitely nervous about it, and uh, sounds like you have the best people available. Right, it's definitely like the 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 most. How do I say it? Like making me understand the value of life more than anything ever has. You know, because it's like I went from being big thinking I was healthy to living on three heart medications, two Crohn's medications, getting ready for fucking open heart. I never had blood pressure issues. Right. I had blood work done. I never had any kind of issues. I had nothing to present itself. This was found by accident. So it was a blessing in disguise because who's to say a year from now, if I never found this, I'm in the gym deadlifting and, and dissection happens and I'm just dead. There's no, yeah. like when you, when you rupture your aorta, I mean, it's death in seconds. I talked to multiple doctors about it. They said there's no, I mean, if that happens, you're basically, it's death sentence. Interesting side note to that comment. You heard my brother on his podcast yeah. that, that he did with me. Yeah. He survived a dissection. Okay. He actually, so there's a dissection and a rupture. Well, he had a dissection where I like got um, home. It was at home. He thought he was having, because of the pain. Yeah. He thought he, he thought he was having like severe in like uh, like a indigestion indigestion like uh, <laughs> like uh, acid reflux or yeah, something severe. But it was really bad. Like it was the pain was in his shoulder, his chest, and yeah. down his arm a little bit. And so he went to the doctor. He thought he was having a digestive issue. He had a, he had a dissection. Went to the hospital. Um, went to the hospital. Yeah. Um, and it was at, at the top, you know, just outside the aorta on the bend. And, um, he didn't have to have, they, um, they didn't do any surgery on, him, I don't think, I think they just, he was in the hospital for maybe a week or something. And, um, physical therapy them, but he was, I mean, he was a big dude. Like I talked a moment ago about he's six two, six three, something like that, and a heavy guy, a big dude. He's always been a big guy. Um, you talk about lifting certain poundage rating 
like what would feel normal to you probably wouldn't feel terribly dissimilar to him right. because he always did that sort of thing. He, you and him could talk endlessly about weightlifting right. because that's, that's his thing. Whereas I'm more about, you know, just the physical fitness yeah. and yeah. running and, and endurance. Um, but, um, yeah, it, it knocked the shit out of him. It took him, um, took him a while to, to recuperate, lost a bunch of weight. And does he have restrictions now? He does. Yeah. But, uh, the way that, the way that he, um, the, because I don't think they did any surgery, they just let it heal. Does it fix a flat in there? I think <laughs> something like that. Yeah. They put some, uh, what is that? That stop leak. Yeah. 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 Um, I actually don't really recall the details. I'm sure he told me, um, but uh, my memory is dog shit. Right. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I, I remember um, they could have had a more extreme treatment that he was able to avoid. I remember that part of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but, um, but he... He did sort of restructure things a bit to where he takes good care of himself. I hope he continues on that path. Um, but, you know, one decision at a time. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, he's, he survived it. And he was telling me about it. I didn't know anything about it until, until it happened to him. And then I also had another, I had another close friend, Bart, who lives here in town. He used to be a cop. Um, he had one. And survived it, and I, I see him out on the bike trail all the time, out um, walking and and cycling and stuff like that. Like, um, he took the he took the approach of he wants to get strong again. You know, he wants to be physically strong again because having gone through that weakened him, and um, and I know that he's he's pretty much back to normal now. Last time I saw him, he was in real good shape. Yeah, I. Uh... I mean, I'll never. I talked to the surgeon about powerlifting after this, and I talked to him about life expectancy because I've always been real. Like with this whole, as this is going on, I've probably shaved some years off my life, you know, with all this shit going on. And you know, it's like it's a hard reality to come to. But yeah, we don't know though. And I asked if him, your life expectancy, you know. If your life expectancy was 90 and now it's, what, 87? Right, exactly. You know, it's yeah. you have no idea. And who's to know, you know? Exactly. And, uh, but he said with the powerlifting stuff, you know, he said, if it's that important to you, do it. But it will, it can, sh- it's going to shave years off your life. Yeah. You know, just putting the strain on your heart. It's, it's a stressful, it's like, a, it's a strain, you know, when you're straining against that weight. I mean, that's a different kind of thing. And, uh, so I don't plan on going back to that. Uh, I, I plan on, I, I can't wait to get this shit done and get back to some kind of like real, I mean, I've been working out, but it's just been like, yeah, you know, just to try to maintain some kind of shape, which, you know, I can't really do much of. Uh, it's been more like me and my girlfriend walk three times a day, mm-hmm. uh, after every, usually after every meal, breakfast, lunch dinner we don't walk after eight o'clock usually uh but then i try to do a workout in the evening a workout (laughs) Uh, i'm just ready to get past it you know so i can i'm gonna move on to the next get back to normal 
Yeah, or, or well, I'm not going to get version, back new get new version of normal. A new version, you know, and I plan on doing more of the running stuff and uh, being able to. I mean, I could do 17 pull-ups at 230 pounds with two fingers. You know, you know who David Goggins is, right? Yes, I love David Goggins. He did you read his book? No. You read his book, man. He did all of the stuff in that book and all the things that you know him for. The um, Losing 100 pounds in a month so right. he could get into the Marines or so he could get into the SEAL program. Um, uh, the ultra marathons, all that stuff with a leaky heart. Oh, really? Yeah. He had a leaky heart and did all those things. Did he get treated? Anything yeah, like he's fixed now. Did he get a heart surgery? Um, I don't, I'm assuming so. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I believe it's in the book. I'm sure you can Google it, you know, because yeah, people, you know, right. You, a person, if you want to know about David Goggins, you should read the book. You can take the shortcut by Googling it, and you but got, this particular <laughs> look through your library here. <laughs> you do. <laughs> you got two copies too. I have. An extra copy. <laughs> um, I have- have an extra copy for the purpose of giving the people giving it out. Yeah. Well, I'll bring yeah. it back. I've got, I've got, actually, I have three copies. I'll read this while I'm in the hospital. Dude, enjoy. For, for my heart. <laughs> yeah, enjoy. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, be careful reading it, you know, because, I mean, the, the stuff that he goes through is so unbelievable and like when he when 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 he made it through buds he got he finished buds and became a seal after the third attempt the first two times he he failed out because something was broke and he had broken feet or some shit didn't he the third time he had broken feet when he completed buds wow I mean, we're talking like running miles. Not I. I fucking talk about four miles like it's right. something. <laughs> right. They're doing like fifteen, twenty mile runs with rucksacks on their back. Right. And he did that shit with broken. I think either broken feet or broken ankles. Wow. He is. He, anybody who's listening that listening to me who knows who David Goggins is, they're saying, "Oh yeah, everybody knows that." The people who are listening to this who don't know who David Goggins is, they're saying bullshit. Right. Because it sounds unbelievable. But he is the epitome of what happens between your ears determines everything. Right. Because he willed himself through these things. Um, The first ultra he did was a 100 miler that he did with just a few days Notice. Notice. Yeah, he just decided he wanted to do ultras. I can't remember. I think it was a fundraiser thing. Um, I can't remember the, the the reason why he did it, but it was basically a circle track, and the idea was to to not necessarily to do a hundred miles. I think it was a one mile track. Um, it was just like a circle track, and there are a bunch of people out there doing it, but. Um, I think the idea was to see how many miles you could run in 24 hours. And he took that as, um, he took that, uh, 
like he was trying to qualify for maybe the the Badlands 100 yeah, think, or something yeah, I think like I that. Yeah, I remember hearing this. Yeah, and um, I'm repeating the details poorly, but read the book. Um, but uh, he had to do that to gain confidence in the organizer. So the organizer would have confidence in them to let him into that race because you don't just sign up for an ultra. You have to qualify for ultras. You have to have done X, Y, and Z, and you had to have done certain times, and you have to basically show the organizers you're not going to die in, right, in, right. In, in the doing of this. So um, he just thought he had to do 100. Well, the whole idea was to do as many as you could in 24 hours. But in like with almost no notice... He went. He talked about how he went out there with Myoplex, and like his fuel was like Myoplex and like some sort of crackers or some shit. Like in <laughs> like not even close to what you would. I mean, he he. I think he went out there with sort of a weightlifter's approach right. to doing like ultra miles. He did it. He he put himself into. Um, I think that put him in. I think. That race put him into, oh man, rhabdo. Yeah, rhabdomyolysis. Yeah, yeah. He's got a story about how his his girlfriend like drug him to the tub and wanted to take him to the hospital, and he refused because like he had done something so unbelievable in his mind. Like he like the pain he sort of glorified wanted it, it glorified his right. accomplishment. Like he wanted that pain. It's fucking interesting, man. It's really interesting to to read about someone who has went somewhere mentally. That I mean, he's kind of the the that we're all trying to go to. Well, he's kind of like you know the, the one small step for man, one jeep, one giant leap for mankind. Yeah. Like he's going somewhere where. He's gone somewhere where most people have never considered. Have you ever heard of the 40% rule? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That at the point that you're out there and you're giving everything you got and you don't think you have anything left, you've just reached 40%. I I agree with that because I'm a huge mental... How insane is that? Strength though? builder. That's why I did the cold showers and stuff. You know, it's everybody asked me, why, why would you do that? Why would you do that? Because I hated it every day. Yeah, I hated it every fucking day, and it, and it made it was like waking up and going to the bathroom and and sitting there thinking about that cold shower, and I'm just like, fuck, I'm I'm really gonna do this and hold myself accountable for it every fucking day, though. You're damn right, I did it every day. Did you do seventy five hard? No, I don't need all that. <laughs> I mean, I like Andy Frisell and all that stuff, you know, but. I live 75 hard. Nice. <laughs> you don't need no fucking program. I don't need no fucking program. <laughs> if I go anymore off the deep end, I'm going to be fucked up. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, everybody's like, well, I do that. I just don't do the reading part, which I need to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, everybody has flaws, and that's one of my biggest flaws is reading. Yeah. Uh, speaking, you know, which we've talked about earlier, like my ultimate goal is to become successful become something and then travel the world as a motivational speaker because i think everybody's on this journey in life for this fucking secret this magic you know and and the magic is you 
putting the pen to the paper and getting your fucking head out of your ass. Yeah. And doing it every day. And it's not just about doing it for six months. It's about doing it every fucking day. Consistency. Every day. Every hour of every day and everything that you do, you do it. Just like you were talking about your customers, taking care of your customers. If you treat every aspect of your life like that, like you actually give a fuck about it, you'll go somewhere in every aspect of your life. If you want to lose weight, treat everything that has to do with losing weight like you want to fucking lose weight. Not just like you want to talk about it with your buds. Yeah. Be about it. You know, it's like... And that's the biggest thing that pisses me off with with everybody. Because, you know, when you are the big guy, you know, and the guy who works out and this and that, you know, everybody's asking you questions. What works? What's this? What's that? Da, 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 you know, and I love it. I love it. Don't get me wrong. You know, I love being that guy. The attention's have. welcome. Yes, I love it. But it's like, I don't know how many fucking times I sat there and talked to these, ev- everyone. It's like, and they want to be about it for a week, but that's it. <laughs> yeah. The, you don't, nothing happens in a fucking week just cause you didn't see results in a week. You're not going to, I can gain weight in a week. Right. I know but I can like, do that in a week. Nothing. Everybody wants this, uh, this fast fix, you know, and it's just like success and everything else. This is what, why everybody's so scared to do something. For one, they're paralyzed by the fear of all the restrictions and shit. Like, well, I can't do this. Just fucking do something. Make a product and sell it. Worry about the shit afterwards. It's a massive commitment. Yes. Make make it happen. You know, I've talked. So there was a time when I was on the sideline and I wanted to run my own business. I was working for somebody doing electronics, doing good work. And I was looking around and I was seeing, you know, I was seeing these other people do it. And I thought, well... What's the fucking difference between him and me? Exactly. Well, I figured out the difference between him and me is he was doing it and I wasn't. Right. That's it. That was it. So all I had to do was do it and then I'd be that guy. And so that's essentially how I've come to where I'm at now. Um, But that's absolutely true. A lot of people are paralyzed by the idea of failure as well. And, And that is, I'm finding out the failure... I, well, okay, so I don't actually see failure. My, like I, yeah, I don't fail. You know, you only fail at something when you when you stop trying. That's when failure happens. When you give up. So as long as you don't give up, then you don't ever fail. You may fuck up. You may get derailed. You may have setbacks. You may have headwinds. Those things absolutely will happen. That's life. Yeah, but as long as you don't stop trying, as long as you don't stop trying to move the ball forward, like then the failure never actually comes. So, you know. And that's moving the ball forward, and that's like I was talking about, in everything you do. It's not just in one, because, yeah, there's ultra-successful people that are just successful in one aspect of their life. Sure. You know, you can't rate success on somebody's wealth you rated on their overall well package. so um one of the things so i'm competitive i appreciate success and 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 ha, you know whatever that happens to be and i also work for ultra wealthy people so that equation means i'm only going to see myself as 
like how am I ever going to mark up, right? Right. Because I'm surrounded by, and some of that's generational, well, some of it's generational wealth, which is something you can't compete with. Right. Like even, even you with your dad having business success can't compete with generational wealth. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Just doesn't work. Like there's something to the pedigree of somebody who their dad their granddad's granddad was ultra wealthy and so the you know that sort of thing is hard to dissolve and i've actually done work for in those sort of circles so the competition if you're competing with other if you're competing with the things you see around you I personally don't know how success ever happens. I personally see the only competition being between myself and the goal I set in front of me. That's the competition for me because doing a comparison is almost irrelevant. It's almost irrelevant because everybody's circumstances are so diverse. Their starting points are so diverse. Their advantages or disadvantages are so diverse and to take and try to c- compare myself against somebody else seems like a fruitless proposition. Well, that and success is a term defined by its own user. It absolutely, and that's so, that's kind of the point. Be that I was, lead, you know, right. what I was sort of dancing around was that if your idea of success is generated by anybody else besides your own right. personal values. I mean, that's just a recipe for misery, if you ask me. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Success is something that, I mean, your idea of success can be totally different than mine. Yeah, I totally plan on downsizing and having like a thousand square foot. And based on how I plan to live my lifestyle, that will be the definition of success for me, is to be able to have decision-making and autonomy. To decide if a project comes my way and the profit margin is shit and the customer is an asshole, You're not gonna fuck with I'll it. say, no, I, I'm just not interested. If that project comes to me today, I'll probably take it because the revenue importance is more important than me having to deal with a, with a customer who's going to treat me or my people badly. Right. Um, that being said, that's sort of my definition of success is to be able to to have the choice. Enjoy a lifestyle that's comfortable for me. Okay. Which would be a, a lot less of a lifestyle than most people are searching for. Well, that's success in your book. That's, yeah. That yeah. makes you happy. That's what, that's good. I mean, that's, everyone needs to search out their own happiness, not base it on everybody else. Yeah. And I think, I think, and maybe this is just me generalizing, but I think that that is something that is not really well figured out in today's society. No. Because everybody wants to be everyone else. I think everybody lives through social media. Yeah, social media, and actually, even before social media, it was when I was a kid. It was the kid with the cool shoes or the expensive right. shoes, or or the kid with the expensive car. Like that was everybody was envious of that. Um, I walked past a, a Mercedes CLS fifty five AMG today. I was not envious of it at all. You know what yeah, I mean? That Tesla. I have a Tesla, <laughs> but not because I have a Tesla, because 
I know that if I did have the resources, the financial resources to buy that car, I wouldn't use them that way. Right. I would buy this thing that I want over here, this car that I want over here, and then I'd reutilize those resources somewhere else. Probably, even if I had an excess of resources, I'd probably go philanthropy versus a vehicle that I don't ever drive. That's not your style. It's flashy's just not your style. A, just enough. Just right. enough flashy. You know, just enough flashy. Yeah, I understand that. I'm not a huge flasher myself, so... Thank God. <laughs> Some things just don't need to be seen like yeah. that, man. Yeah, no, I've, I've never been like that, you know, showy. I'm more, like I told you before, like coming on to this, like I love sitting down and talking to people. I just didn't want to sit down and come off as somebody like, I don't have enough to show for myself to call myself success, successful. Well, you know. I, I think what's important as far as your goal of being like a motivational speaker, I think what's really the interesting opportunity that you have is that you're in the journey now right? and you can take people along with you. So much like the person who was heavy at one point and they make a commitment to the public, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And they do it and they, they are public about their process and they show the gains. I think that's a, a wonderful opportunity for you that, and this little, this, this challenge that you're getting to go through with, yeah. with the surgery is part of that, a huge part of that equation, you know? Um, so you're in a low point of your life. You found a way out of it. You have a, 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 a wonderful, um, ride or die. You started a business. You you're running this business. Like I think part of something that we can all relate to is suffering. And I tend to respect people who go through a tough time because that's super relatable. And especially when they come out on the other side on top, when they, you know, I've seen, I've, I had a buddy of mine congratulate me the other day for not melting into a bar stool over what I went through. Right. It was a huge compliment because somebody recognized that I didn't. You, 